Welcome to the Empowered Curiosity Podcast. I'm your host, Kat Lee, and we are here to explore the ideas, stories, and experiences of what it means to be a curious and empowered human. We will talk about how to anchor into your relationship to intimacy, emotional alchemy, embodiment medicine, and conscious relationships. On this podcast, my guests and I will be sharing wisdom about coming back home to the truest version of yourself. friend. I am so glad that you're joining me on this episode of the Empowered Curiosity podcast. Today, we're going to talk about the nervous system, which is one of the subjects that I can nerd about for hours at a time. And I'm sure that my guest, Brian Donahoe, and I, if you get us going, I'm sure we can talk about this for hours as well. I have a bit of a confession, which is I graduated from my master's program of traditional Chinese medicine without a tangible and real practical understanding of the nervous system. So this episode is going to be great for you if you are a healthcare practitioner who walked away from your anatomy and physiology class, not really understanding why the nervous system is so important. This is also going to be a great episode for you if you are a human being who simply has a nervous system and you're not sure why you carry stress and anxiety and depression in your body. And it's going to connect some of these dots that really we need to be training people to be looking at these experiences with a wider perspective. This is why I don't agree with the allopathic medical system that basically parts us out into different organ systems. And so then you're sent to your endocrinologist or you're sent to your digestive specialist or you're sent to a psychologist or a psychiatrist and nobody's actually taking a look at the big picture. And this is the beauty of the nervous system. The nervous system helps tie all these pieces together because of the anatomy, because of the physiology, and it helps your story make sense. So this is a question that I get all the time, which is, what is the best thing that I can do for my stress, my anxiety, my depression? So I think the expectation here is that folks want me to give them a suggestion on the how. Do I do cognitive behavioral therapy? Do I do internal family systems? Do I do acupuncture? Do I do Reiki? Do I do massage, meditation? You know, they want me to skip to the how. And for me, after having done this work for a decade and a half, those modalities don't actually matter. To me, The thing that is most important is that there is safety between you and the practitioners, because unless there is safety, none of these modalities are going to work. And when it comes to safety, it really comes down to two things. I'm looking at your environment and your relationships. So the first piece, if you're experiencing stress, anxiety, depression, is to look at the environment. So your body can't feel safe if you are running away from a lion. The same thing applies 
Your nervous system is not going to feel safe if you're in an abusive relationship, if you're in an insecure job, if there are dysfunctional family dynamics, if you live in a world where there's institutionalized racism and you're a BIPOC person. These things matter. And then the second piece that I look at is relationships because safety happens through pattern breaking experiences in intentional co-regulation. What I mean by that is when we feel held by community, when we feel held by somebody in an intentional way, and that container feels safe, it feels competent, it feels solid, it feels secure, that allows you to step outside of your survival identities. So we all have these survival identities like the caregiver, the doer, the fixer, the good girl, the mediator. And when you feel safe in a co-regulatory intentional relationship, you feel free to just show up simply as your true self, which allows you to have what I call a pattern breaking experience. So what that means is that you felt unsafe doing something before. But now you are giving your nervous system data that you can feel safe doing whatever it is. So that could be sharing your stories, looking at your shadows, really diving into your emotions. Those are things that felt unsafe in your past. But when you're given a container, when you're given space to actually explore those in a safe way, then you start building into your nervous system, oh, this is actually not as scary as I thought this was, and I can take a look at this. So this is something that needs to be experienced. So safety is not something that you learn. It's not something that you can crack open a book. And I think this is why the nervous system and learning about the nervous system never settled in for me when I was doing my master's program is because I thought I could learn that from a book. So safety is something that you experience. And with enough pattern-breaking experiences, your nervous system creates new grooves where you feel safer and safer and safer. So then you feel braver and braver to actually show up as your true self, to actually show up and ask for what you desire, to use your voice. So going back to the original question, what's the best thing that you can do for your stress, anxiety, and depression? That is really about finding safety setting up your environment for success and creating co-regulatory relationships with safe humans. And so that could be a practitioner, it could be a family member, a friend who has done their work. But the key piece here is that they've done their work so that they can hold you objectively and compassionately as you do your own work. So what's happening this week for me is I just sealed up the last circle of the Heart Lab, which is my group coaching container. And we talk about conscious relationships over the course of 12 weeks. And one of the participants shared with me that she felt so safe. And I'm realizing that this is the highest compliment that any of my clients can give me. For me, it's because it goes back to this. It's because when there's safety, you're in a co-regulatory container. When there's safety, you can feel empowered to actually see different choices. When there's safety, you can feel, curiosity can open up. So this is more so than like, you've got so much 
information and qualifications, like none of that matters to me if my client doesn't feel safe. So if you are curious about doing some deeper work. And if you feel like you're listening in on these conversations, you're listening to this podcast and you're feeling safe and you're wanting to take this a little bit deeper, I do have some one-on-one coaching spaces available right this moment. It's a bit of a rarity for these spaces to open up. So let's hop on a connection call. Um, The link to my schedule is up on my website, which is empoweredcuriosity.com. And from there, we'll just have a conversation. It's just me and you. I want to hear a bit of your story. I want to understand where your challenges, where your blocks are, and see if there is a space that I can support you and help you create safety. And with that... I am so excited to share this conversation that I had with Brian Donahoe. We completely nerd out about the nervous system. We talk about the physiology and spirituality of sleep. We talk about why it is so necessary to address both the body and the emotions when it comes to trauma work. So here you go. Here is Brian Donahoe. Hello and welcome to the Empowered Curiosity Podcast. Recently, I had my dear friend Brian Donahoe and we talked about the digestive system. And I had such a great time chatting with you, Brian, that I made a trip all the way out to LA to come meet you in person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So now we have officially met in person. We are recording this in like real person real time, time. there's it's, no technological yeah. delay like, i hear I you i'm poke here your I, leg. yeah <laughs> it's not no more like silent cues yeah it's just like bang yeah totally so In the flesh. yeah so i've had such a lovely weekend hanging out with you and your partner alex and i feel like i've been completely spoiled and my nervous system is so very happy <laughs> <laughs> your tummy's happy my tummy's happy i've been thoroughly fed and nourished i got to experience what a body work i don't even know what to call it i don't think integrative alignment session there you go integrative Mm. alignment session with you and oh man what a perfect weekend to talk about the nervous system so our plan was to dive into each of these different organ systems and and throw your lens on it, throw my lens on it so that we can see what an integrative approach actually looks like. Mm -hmm. And, and I think this is the perfect place to have this conversation. Yeah. And talking about, you know, really an integrative approach that we took, you know, having your expertise on a certain thing so you can focus in and really dive into the subtle things that will come up. You have to, you know, as a great practitioner wears multiple hats, but, you got to pick a lane sometimes mm-hmm. to really uh, have the conversation or the treatment grounded so that it can be digested or absorbed by the person, the patient who's receiving the treatment. Yeah. And uh, I think that we really, our work is complementing so much and we're starting to see that there is, there are important buckets to fill yeah. with our clients, our, our, you know, in our practices that, just have to be illuminated in, in certain ways so that the aha moments come together yeah. and we really click. Yeah. And I think 
the nervous system is such a wonderful place to integrate it all because that's where it's all integrated in the body. Yeah. So reflecting that as our human experience. Is, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. We're going to dive into some of that today. That'll be yeah. fun. And I think for me, having experienced a session with you now, mm. um, I've done so much of the like emotional and spiritual and all of that realm of work that I came in being like, yeah, I'm not quite sure what you're going to work on. Mm -hmm. But what came through for me is it's not just, and I know I say this, but to actually experience it is another thing, but you know, it's not just my emotions, my heart, my, my brain going through these, these experiences. It, it was also my body going through these, through these experiences. And you uncovered old derby injuries of mine that hadn't had a chance to actually recalibrate mm. um, back. And I was, I, I mean, in a really, really good way, I was surprised at how relaxed I felt mm. um, because I already feel like I'm a fairly relaxed person. And I was like, okay, like this will just feel good. A, it didn't feel great. <laughs> it's a really, very yeah. intense uh, session, but like, you took me back to a very specific fall that I had in Derby and mm. like my tailbone has not been the same since then. And my nervous system has not been the same since then. And my spine has not been the same since then. And so actually getting to the root of where my body experienced that story and seeing that there's still layers to uncover was really illuminating for me. Yeah. I think that's the, we, we see that all the time here is people are surprised. Mm -hmm. Oh, I didn't know that was there because I feel fine. Or I, I feel, I think that's what the body is designed really to ultimately do is so that you can navigate regardless of the traumas from day in and day out, you're not going to experience that level of stress all the time. You might be pulled into triggers throughout the day, but overall we just get used to it. Mm -hmm. And the body is doing that because it doesn't it wants to manage the stress the best it can. Mm -hmm. Your body's going to do things to mitigate stress the best it can, because it, it doesn't want to be constantly in, in a heightened state, uh, regardless of the triggers that will bring you to those heightened state overall, you'll stay in that level in that zone. You'll get used to it. And year after year, day after day, you might, you'll forget what it was like to what, what before the injury, yeah. you know, before the tailbone injury, it, our bodies don't want to remember pain or nor do they really have a reference point to feeling good. We know what feeling good can be. Yeah. So you got used to, uh, you know, for example, your, your coccyx, your tailbone was bent out, pulled out, mm -hmm. which put pressure on your spine, mm -hmm. which put pressure on your spinal cord, mm -hmm. which put pressure around the fascia around the brain. Yeah. And that was every day, whether you were on vacation, having the best time at the, out to eat, that's always happening. Mm -hmm. So you're going to have to get used to it or suffer and your body does not want to suffer. Right. And as we release that, the only reference point you have is the feeling immediately after and before, whoa, mm -hmm. that is different. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I love that because it's something that feels almost mirrored in my work because it's, it's never about fixing what is broken. It's mm -hmm. actually about helping your body remember what it was like when it was in a state of balance and when it was in a state of like 
not being in a stressed out state, Mm -hmm. right? And so a lot of the work that I do on the emotional side is, okay, so you had particular survival tools. So what happens when those survival tools are no longer serving you? The same way that it was not serving me to be holding my coccyx in like a sort of tilted and off to the side sort of position, but it needed to be in that space to keep my spine stable and safe Mm -hmm. for some time, right? And so in a place where my body now feels like it's safe enough to move and go back to homeostasis, what then does that do to my nervous system? I feel like it relates really, I mean, relates, mirrors. I think it mirrors back to the emotional side. Yeah, those reflect. I mean, you get into like what an injury is. Um, if it was a severe enough injury, you would be debilitated. Mm-hmm. If the trauma was severe enough, it would debilitate, you know, to the point PTSD levels happen so much that you can't navigate day-to-day base things. So uh, your trauma, your body was able to process and settle it. Was it ideal? No, far from it. Uh, but it was at least able to navigate day-to-day. Mm-hmm. And we talk about big T traumas and little T traumas and all these little things that add up. Uh, no one is more powerful than the other. It's just some have an effect, uh, a rather day-to-day, moment-to-moment effect, and some, you know, creep in. Yeah. So I think before we get super in depth, let's start out with a couple of definitions because I don't know that everyone Mm. is going to Mm -hmm. really get a sense of what we're talking about until we have a foundation of vocabulary. So give us a sense of like what you mean by the nervous system when we're talking about the nervous system. Well, we can talk about uh, two branches of our nervous system, our autonomic nervous system, the the one that we don't have control over consciously in terms of um, you can't just start telling your heart to stop beating. It will always beat. Uh, You can get your diaphragm to stop working, but you can't really stop the gas exchange. Your body will, you you can't suffocate yourself with holding your breath. Mm -hmm. So the autonomic nervous system is there. So uh, your conscious mind doesn't have to constantly think about these things, nor does it even, is it necessary? You don't tell yourself to digest or not. Your body's going to do these things. So we have a sympathetic part of the autonomic system, a sympathetic division, which is your fight or flight mechanisms or freeze, uh, your, your heart rate increasing, parasympathetic branches, your heart rate decreasing, rest or digest. And those are where the autonomic nervous system likes to settle into one or the other. And when we work with, when I say the word nervous system, I'll, ref, I'll reference it to um, a certain state you're in right now. So if there's a heightened state, you would say you're in a sympathetic nervous system. Your nervous, your autonomic nervous system is running in a sympathetic state, a parasympathetic state for what we want to be ideally throughout the day. Mm-hmm. When we want to be responsive, mm-hmm. we be, become reactive in a, nervous system state that's sympathetic Mm -hmm. and that's a place where uh it requires a lot of bandwidth uh all systems to be focused on a task it's not sustainable do you get things done in a sympathetic nervous system absolutely i mean that's why it's programmed there and i think that's what you really are when we're going to on the on the grand scheme of things we can get into the smaller nitty bit nitty-gritty stuff but let's uh in referencing stress we'll, we'll go with sympathetic nervous system. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think it's important to note too, that like one is not better than the other. Yes. We, 
evolved from humans who are running away from bears at some point. And so we needed our sympathetic nervous system to get turned on. We needed our heart rate to go up. We needed our lungs to pump really quickly. We needed blood up to the brain. We needed blood out to the limbs so that we could do the thing like fight or flight. Mm -hmm. And then in extreme cases of physical threat where we feel like we might die, that's when we get the freeze response. Yeah. And so this is not a situation where we're like, we don't want you to be in the sympathetic nervous system state. We want you to be able to turn that on when it's necessary to be turned on. And it's like, but the problem is that we have a tendency in our modern day to keep our foot, our, our foot on the gas pedal of that sympathetic nervous system state. And we mm-hmm. don't allow ourselves to take it off. We're programmed. Mm-hmm. And it's a conditional programming. Yes. And so, you know, like this is not a situation that is like you're humaning badly if you are in a sympathetic nervous system state. You're not attacking shame to yeah. biological systems that are will be in place as long as humans are on this earth. Yeah. But I mean, I think it's important to say that because a lot of times people beat themselves up for not being able to meditate, for not being able to relax because their yes. brain keeps on turning even when they're in the bathtub. And so like, this is not something that is your fault, but it is something that is your responsibility to address because your body is a machine that cannot have your foot on the gas pedal 100% of the time. Car, you know, your RPMs, you know, if you drive a automatic car or, or a, pardon me, a manual car, you know when you have to shift that gear. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're in second gear and you never shift to third and your RPMs, you're trying to go faster and your RPMs are up at 7,000, how long before your engine overheats? Mm-hmm. And that has become the norm. I think that's the one thing I would love to touch on today too is how common this has become. Yeah. Your doctor that you go and see most likely is, is running under this enhanced sympathetic fight or flight state yeah. all the time. Yeah. Uh, it's been going on as technology, as more people are packed into each other, mm-hmm. as we are plugged in, we have more things that are stimulating our nervous system yep. and therefore eliciting responses that are not appropriate for the moment, mm-hmm. but we get used to it. Yep. We've created societies, culture yep. around it. Yep. We go, you know, we'll get into, you know, even like we go to movies and, and, and to feel these things, we go to places to feel these things mm-hmm. because we are so desensitized. Mm-hmm. And why are we desensitized? Because we've basically exposed our environment has ex- exposed our nervous systems yeah. uh, the way they were not biologically designed. Right. right. Yes. We still want our, we want our fight or flight all the time. You go to step off the curb and a car comes, you hear a honk. You need every bit and every fiber of your body to react and get out of there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But how about every time you pick up the phone yeah. and you have a partner that is you're maybe having a fight with your partner and you don't know what that next test message is. That same system is firing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When the car comes in, you hear that horn, mm-hmm. that same system is firing slightly different level, yep. but it is still on. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and I think that this is where the crux of our work intersects so beautifully mm-hmm. is because essentially we're looking at these different stressors in our lives we're seeing how it affects that stress affects us. And you're able to look at the body and be like, okay, so this person has experienced stress in this way in their life. And this is how they're holding their body. And so we need to start untangling what's happening on the body level. Yeah. 
And then I'm sort of looking at it from the framework of, okay, so this person has had a stressor in their life and what sort of behavioral and emotional scaffolding have they had to put up in order to stay safe in their life, right? Mm -hmm. And so when we can address it on both the the body level as well as the emotional level, like you and I have seen such incredible like growth in our in our patients, right? Like we have a couple of patients who we share Mm -hmm. and and I love being able to say, oh, like we worked through a really deep pattern. I need you to like there's something in her shoulder that's locked up or there's something in her gut that's locked up. And then you get to go right to that place and, and untangle that on the body level, because it's not just the, the emotional story that they're hanging on to. Their body is also hanging on to a particular story as well to keep them safe. Yeah. And they're, you know, I can put my hands, it goes the the vice versa the the other way. Uh, We, I put my hands on somebody or any practitioners that are out here that work with the body and doctors, you feel this, you put your hands on, it doesn't matter where you touch them. They are in that tightened state. And so I always approach Okay. The body's not ready to be released yet. Mm-hmm. You can sit there and go, well, their shoulders a little tighter than their hip and know oh, that that cross pattern connects, but you have to address the global situation. Is this body ready to receive information? Mm-hmm. If it's stuck calibrated in a, in a heightened fight or flight state, then you're trying to impose new information on it by doing a release or doing a treatment. Is it going to be digested? Is it going to be absorbed? The bandwidth is not there because it's not, it's not tuned to that. So this is where we get into the treatment with the uh, working with the skull, working with the spinal cord. When I see people the first time their sessions, the things that I do are very similar. I am customizing it to each person, but my objectives with them are almost the same. We got to make sure you're breathing. We got to make sure the spine is moving properly and that the skull bones, there's 22 in the skull and the face, that they're in the best position possible so that the brain and the spinal cord are in the most relaxed state in a physical way. Mm-hmm. From there, they'll have, they will, I mean, you felt it. You felt your body just begin to, oh, I feel lighter. I feel more open. These things are said over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? It just, this is how your body, this is the experience that your body should be having on a day-to-day basis. Mm-hmm. Not you shouldn't feel this la 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 like you get off the table all the time, mm-hmm. but that's the initial surge of relaxation. Yeah. Yeah. And it's about feeling safe enough to relax. Yes. Like, yes. Yes. Again, it's, it's not a situation where we can go into the shame game of why aren't you relaxing? Why aren't you releasing you know, it's, it's really about, okay, so why do you feel unsafe to let this story go? And how many times do people, you get body work mm-hmm. and, oh, this is the tightest shoulder. You got, you're so yeah. tight. You're so tense. You yeah. get, you get that physical work that uh, you feel, you, know, you get shamed. You said the shame yeah. game, you get shamed by the people working on your body. They go, oh, wow, this is so tight. Yeah. We all fall into it as body workers. Yeah. And I've caught myself years ago, it dawned on me. I go, why are we shaming our people for, mm-hmm. and they don't even know they're not trying to shame them, but the fact that subconsciously you've done something wrong, mm-hmm. you go back in their life. Like how many times have, as a parent, a teacher, or an authoritative figure shamed you and you basically conditioned yourself to learn to do something or not do something by shame. Yeah. And now you're getting body work yeah. and that same shame is being elicited yeah. subconsciously. 
yeah, it, not feeling safe is such a, that's it. Really, when you start someone working somebody, if they don't feel safe, all the stuff you're doing is superficial. Yeah. And that's something that I, I say all the time is it doesn't matter. It could be Reiki. It can be sound healing. It could be body work, acupuncture, you know, going to a Western medical doctor, like safety has to be the modality. Like you aren't going to create any sort of change. If anything, you're going to create more of a pattern around holding and protecting and hardening and armoring up if you don't feel safe. And so to me, when, when I have people or potential clients asking, you know, what is it that you do? And, and something that I talk about a lot on Instagram, particularly is like, I don't care. I, I mean, I probably shouldn't be saying this, but like, I don't care if you don't work with me. It's like, how can we find you a tool that makes you feel safe in your body that makes you feel safe to share your story because it has to come around to safety. Yeah. That that's the biggest, that's the biggest one in the sense, because you're fighting yourself in, in terms of as a practitioner, you're fighting what you're trying to relieve Mm -hmm. and it's, it gets into our own journey, my own journey when I'm working on somebody and I feel, am I being too quick with them? Mm-hmm. If I felt rushed today, mm-hmm. do I rush this body? And we have to work on these techniques that we're giving our clients mm-hmm. and our, practi- our our patients that are sitting on the table and you're trying to, we're not superhuman. Mm-hmm. No, we're all the same. We're going through the same thing. We have tools that we're trying to share that we've discovered these tools and we'd love for you to share and have them so you can be in this state. But we're not it's not a fix all your body will go back to that sympathetic state. It's do you have the tools in place to bring it back down to a balanced state? Unless you're going to go live in the woods and be away from everybody. Mm -hmm. And that's not your path. Then you're going to live and take part in this modern world. And the onus is on us to give our clients and our patients, the tools to mitigate that stress Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in a moment to moment basis overall. Yeah. And So I think that it'd be helpful because sometimes people don't even recognize that they're in a state of sympathetic. They're not, they're not sure if they're stressed or if this is just what a normal modern human being (laughs) does. Um, They don't have another reference point Yeah, because everyone around them. Yeah. This is a global issue. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it'd be helpful to sort of walk, through what we're seeing in terms of like what walks in through our doors. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah. What walks in through our door? Uh, How I, I mean, I can even just talk through my first five, 10 minutes of a session. Let's say I get the intake. It's time for me to now physically work with the person. Mm -hmm. I'm checking the state of how responsive or reactive their body is. Mm -hmm. So right off the bat, I am showing them that your body is unable to receive an input. You know, I will, I'll check the stability, some using some muscle test and some reflex testing just to see, can this signal get to the brain and back? Mm -hmm. If it can't, okay, there's a, there's a tightness. You're just at the spinal cord. Mm -hmm. You're walking around with this all the time. And then they see it and we do a, a quick release and they see the change immediately. Test, treat, test again. Yeah. And they go, oh, then we have them go and walk again Mm -hmm. after the quick release. Mm -hmm. 
and they feel the difference. Yeah. The walking is the integration. Your body always wants to do a few things. And one of them, the most important thing is to let it know it's okay is to walk. Yeah. Especially after you had injury, go walk it off. They say, mm -hmm. um, you stand up, you just start walking mm -hmm. your body use because walking is such an ingrained program yeah. and that it, if it can walk, it can be, it can basically identify faster. What, what could have gotten hurt in a trauma. Uh, and so, we like to elicit that during release is to get them to walk very often during the session to integrate. Yeah. And I think that's, that's an important place to going back to talking about safety is that, uh, do you feel the difference? Okay. I'm willing to trust more. Mm -hmm. Some of the heaviest stuff we do, we can't go right away. Mm -hmm. Even if they go, I trust you completely, Brian, I heard from my friend and her friend and they came out wonderful and I'd love to do anything you want to do. This stuff is subconscious. Yeah. This stuff is is yeah. what we're asking. I you can say you're ready for it. I put my hands on you and I feel tension everywhere. Your body's going no. Yeah. And I threw the big uh, X up there. That's the that's what I feel. That's what I see. Mm -hmm. uh, and you can see that it's exciting to actually see that. And then when you talk them through their emotional codes of how they're feeling, how they're reacting, suddenly they start to reflect. Oh, maybe I am guarded. Mm -hmm. I want you to help me. I want you to fix me, mm -hmm. but I'm guarded. Mm -hmm. And that's the complex, that's the programming. Mm -hmm. And that's the condition. That's a, where our work intersects. Yeah. I think even before that, like, I'm, I'm curious about like how people can sort of self-identify, you know, what their nervous system is doing when they're in a state of stress. And, you know, we talked in depth, about the digestive system mm -hmm. last time. Um, that's episode 44, if y'all wanna go back and check that one out. But I think when we're talking about the nervous system, we can, it sort of zooms itself out a little bit too far so that it doesn't feel tangible for folks. Yeah, it becomes too textbook maybe or, yeah, or yeah. anatomy based. Yeah, and so I'm even thinking like, like why would somebody self-identify as having a nervous system that's in a stressed out state. Symptoms that we can use, uh, even in our questionnaire when we're talking to them. I like to look at sleep. Mm -hmm. How, let's first, dive, do you get enough sleep? Some people try to say yes and they really don't. Uh, we're, we're not getting that eight to nine hours mm -hmm. of sleep. You're not getting restorative balance. We can get into that stuff, but let's just generally, do you get enough sleep? I do get enough sleep. Okay, well, how do you feel when you wake up? Do you feel rested? Mm -hmm. And often that's, I don't feel rested. Okay. So most likely uh, as you're going through your sleep cycles, especially as you're going through the stages and coming back up into the lighter stages and the deeper restorative stages, your body subconsciously is in that fight or flight all the time. It's programmed. So it doesn't feel safe yeah. and it doesn't want to let go and retreat into restorative sleep. Mm -hmm. Therefore you just miss those, those sleep cycles, that dineral rhythm that happens every night. Yeah. It's the repeated pattern. Uh, clenching the jaw. Why does your body clench the jaw? Why does your Why do you clench? Protect the brain. It's it's a it's when you're in a fight or flight. Remember, it goes back to where did it come from? It's a biological protective mechanism. We have to keep our brain protected. Yeah. So the clench is a natural tightening up to brace for impact. Yeah. And that happens. You could be in an argument. I mean, just stop right now and what does your jaw feel like? Mm -hmm. What what that would indicate, and then you also comment how many people are wearing dental appliances at yeah, night yeah. and things like that. But I think so. Let's layer on a little bit of the emotional aspects of this, right? And so, like when you are talking about 
sleep and and jaw clenching like that was what I lived for probably four to five years before I got divorced Mm -hmm. you know it was just I had the worst insomnia I had like and I was on pretty intense sleep medication it like wouldn't touch it and like to me looking back on that that part of my life it was I could not surrender. I could not surrender into my unconscious subconscious state because it was not a safe place to be because it meant that actually meeting that part of me would illuminate how out of balance my life was. And so when we are when we're talking to to clients about sleep it's not just about you know how many hours did you get you know, what, you know, what dental appliances are you using? You know, how often do you wake up to pee? Part of that conversation also has to be, okay, so what are you hiding from yourself? Vulnerabilities. Right. It's the most vulnerable state that we can be in is when we're asleep. Yeah. And that's, and if you don't have the bandwidth, you're in that, you're in those triggers, those, those fighting, those subconscious triggers that are constantly keeping you in fight or flight. Mm-hmm. Uh, your body is not going to have the bandwidth to be able to look around and go, well, what's really going on? Mm-hmm. If you're really being honest with yourself, it takes a lot of courage yeah. to just go, oh, I'm going to surrender to this. Right. We talk, we'll get into, you know, that's a word we use a lot in our releases because it, that's, that's the onus of our treatment too, is to be able to give people the calmer nervous, a temporary calm nervous system to give them more bandwidth to go, okay, what am I running from? Mm-hmm. What am I resisting? Mm-hmm. What am I not allowing in? Mm-hmm. And that is give that window of opportunity because maybe then you have the bandwidth to see those, those, those lateral peripheral uh, elements that are constantly guiding you and pushing you in a direction that you don't necessarily agree with, right. but you don't know how to get out of it. Right. And giving them the bandwidth that might be the ticket to break out of this whole merry-go-round of stress, bad sleep, more frustration, more stress, bad digestion. Yeah. So that's what we're trying to break. Yeah. And I think that like we all need to dream, like even animals dream. And there's this theory that I have that I think we meet our true selves when we're dreaming you know, it's the part of our lives when we are categorizing, it's the part of our lives when we um, are in a state of just full yin, full, like as yin as you can get without dying. And, and so in that state, it can feel a little bit chaotic. But what your brain is actually doing is it's, it's meeting that true self who you were before the conditions were laid down. And so for somebody who struggles to sleep, like I, I wonder about, okay, so what are you afraid of hearing from your true self? Like mm-hmm. what's going on here where you can't actually access the part of you that you were meant to express in this lifetime, right? And that, you know, biologically speaking, when you have that level of comfortability to go there with yourself, you consciously look around and go, I'm safe. Mm-hmm. I'm safe. I can go into this place. And your body go, well, then there's more. There's mm-hmm. a conscious expansion happening. There's there's so much that's going on. And I think that 
yeah, that defragging process when your body goes, well, I no longer have to hold on to dear life and look around and, and say, am I, am I physically okay? Am I going to be attacked? Oh, I can let go. I can now process my experiences better. And because the ego is allowing ourselves, I think when you dream is to removal of the ego self, and we could see this seemingly craziness flowing in, what's the meaning behind it? So you can practice your dreaming. You can, you know, practice astral projection and, and these things, and then, and, and being able to go into these deeper states what is that? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You have to be calm. You have to have a, and, and it has to be appropriate. Mm -hmm. And if it's not appropriate, are you feeling safe? And these are questions people can ask themselves mm -hmm. and, and just see like, Ooh, I don't, I'm always distracting myself before bed. Mm -hmm. I fall asleep with the TV on. Mm -hmm. I fall asleep with uh, my phone next to my head. Yeah. Uh, I wake up with my phone and all these things are going against your biological programming mm -hmm. of, gentle sleep yeah and so now not magically take those things away your stress will go away right but they certainly are contributing to the inability to mitigate that stress right right and physiologically your body is in a different brain wavelength when you're sleeping versus when you're awake yeah. and so you're in that delta theta mode which is a slower speed but it's also a more creative speed, mm -hmm. you know, like you access that part of you when you are meditating, when you are journaling, when you're doing a creative art project and it seems like time slows down, like time can feel like it's both endless and, and finite at the same time. And we, we were in that state when we were little kids you know, before we were seven, we're constantly in that state of Delta Theta. And so I think about that as being like, okay, so that was who I was before I had society telling me who I needed to be, culture telling me what I needed to do, what I need to want, you know, my family putting expectations on me. It's just that like pure childlike wonder state and you get to go back to that every time you dream and you get to go back to what your wants and desires are when you're in that dreaming restful sleep stage and when we are resisting that whether that's unconsciously or consciously i i think that my first question is why like what are you resisting here and mm -hmm. and how are you not in alignment and how are you not in accordance with your Tao, your true nature. So like, I think that like, this is why it's so important to be talking about the nervous system and how these signs and symptoms relate because nobody's connecting the dots, you know? You're getting, you just gotten to the point, you asked a, you posed a question of living in your true self. Mm -hmm. Does that sound like when somebody's going to get care and I don't feel well and they go to their doctor, those are the questions that are being asked because ultimately it boils down <laughs> to that. Yeah. And you're not a product of your symptoms. Yeah. Your symptoms are there. Physical symptoms are there to tell a story. And then, and, and, you, you know, you don't go, when you say someone has sleep, okay, well then, oh, you're missing sleep. Okay. Right away. Sleep aid. Mm -hmm. It's not what we do here. I don't care. A valerian root. We'll go naturally. No, that's not what we're, we're really, my quest and my curiosity for this is to go deeper because the body's designed to heal itself. Mm -hmm. And therefore it is also vulnerable to programming because it, that's the beauty of your conscious expansion. It doesn't always, it doesn't, the onus is not to be, everything has to be at ease and everything has to be flowy and wonderful. 
with that, you have lessons in life to learn. And so gaining tools so that you're not a victim of your physical symptoms, emotional symptoms, you posed a question that illuminates a new perspective Mm -hmm. for somebody and that they can Mm self-reflect and see, oh, that's what this is. Yeah. Okay. And then when they start to begin to deal and and work with that, and this is what you, you know, what we do is your body begins to get that aha moment again, and it connects the dots. And the more efficient it can connect the dot, the less anxiety, the anxiety drops, the further that gap is, or the, how like connecting the dots all over the place, Mm -hmm. it's inefficient. Mm -hmm. It's not sustainable. And therefore I think a universal law that I follow, if it's not sustainable or inefficient or it's inefficient, no matter how productive it is in the moment, I don't think it'll last. And that's, we see that over and over again. Um, So if you're connecting the dot ability is improved and simplified and straightforward, the anxiety drops. Oh, that's what that is. Mm -hmm. I no longer, it's no longer a maze in my head. The maze, the sympathetic fight or flight, that response begins to drop. And in that moment, your body trusts in that element. And it, it goes back to, I think we talked about this in the last episode of using your signs and symptoms as uh, an inquiry into what's going on, mm-hmm. you know, rather than trying to suppress them. Yeah. Because, you know, when we make things super, super comfortable, which is what I think a lot of allopathic medicine is trying to do is we're just trying to bring people back to a comfortable place without addressing any of the challenges that they're supposed to feel, right? Mm -hmm. Very very superficial in terms of healing. Mm -hmm. And so if we can, you know, to the best of our ability, like I know that this is such a frustrating process, like when you can't sleep, because I've been there. And um, to the best of your ability, can you just accept the fact that you can't sleep? And then ask yourself, okay, So what am I running away from? You know, if I'm meeting my true self in sleep, what am I running away from? And what am I afraid to look at? You know, it's, it's kind of counterintuitive, but like becoming unconscious is what helps you meet your consciousness in a way. So, yeah, I think using the signs and symptoms as, uh, a portal into rather than like a way of continuing to defragment yourself. Yeah. One more thing to stifle or, you know, suppress, suffocate yeah. and suppress. And we have to have to be gentle with ourselves in those questioning in those questions, because that is, I think that's the entry point. If you're our conscious, our day-to-day awakened alpha state brain, mm-hmm. Let's ask it those reflective questions that throws the mirror at it. Mm-hmm. Look at it. Mm-hmm. Be okay. And then decide. Mm-hmm. And got to meet our bodies where we're at. Where we're at. Meet ourselves where we're at, really. Yeah. Not where we're denying what we're trying to be, wearing that mask. All yeah. that. Meet yourself where you really are yeah. at. You pose those questions, the difficult ones, but the one, and they take courage to answer. That is the same thing we're doing when we're physically working with somebody is we have to meet them where they're at. Mm -hmm. I've seen that a thousand times. I know what to do. Yeah. Everyone's different. Everyone is different. We know that. And people say that all the time. It's always, but truly Mm -hmm. you won't know until in the moment. And so I use even in treatment, I have my intuitive sense 
I use my own physical senses and beyond just my five senses to uh, proceed here, proceed with caution, or yes, go there, or ask more here. Every single time, I'm always testing. And you don't care if you've been doing this for 25 years and you've seen it, you have to test because you don't know mm -hmm. in the moment mm -hmm. where that person is at. Yeah. And that is another key to getting someone to feel safe is that the person caring for them is listening to their body. Mm -hmm. If I'm not listening to your body and I just say, oh, you're a set of symptoms. I know what to do here. Take this, do this, do that exercise. Mm -hmm. You're not listening to that person. Right. How do you expect that person to go ahead and listen to themselves? Mm -hmm. You didn't show any ability to really do that for them. Right. And uh, that's the, it's hard to have a practice to do that. Yeah. Challenging. Yeah. But fulfilling. Yeah. What we want. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the most important thing is what we're here to discover yeah. is to illuminate that because care is changing. Mm -hmm. We're starting to see the mainstream care going in this direction. Mm -hmm. um, we're nudging along a little further towards that true authentic place. Yeah. yeah. I think. And I think that people get scared that when we say accept yourself where you're at right now, that means that there's no room for improvement. Like we're not saying <laughs> like give up the, the future scenario where you feel balanced and where you feel like you can sleep and where you feel like you don't have to clench your jaw anymore. Like we're just saying that this is an important part of the journey. You have to go through this part too. You know, like every movie has three parts to it. You know, you get the act one where, you know, you get introduction of the characters, but like you get the act two where they're going through the hard shit and then the resolution happens in act three. Like if you were to just go straight from act one to act three, which is what I feel like a lot of medicine is trying to do with us, there's like, you're missing out on some major, major lessons you know, all the lessons happen in act two. And missing so, the purpose. Yeah. And so we're, we're, what we're saying is it's not like we're telling you to give up the possibility of, of feeling good in your body, like far from it. But we're just saying that you have to feel safe enough to go through act two as well, because there's something here for you to learn. Yeah. And aren't you sick and tired of just waiting for the next thing to come up? to then react to, to take a pill, to take, like, isn't that, that game? Like, you know, yeah. Okay. So maybe you stopped your migraine this time, or you, you know, you were able to do something that maybe you avoided an argument, but you didn't really get to the details down. And it's just waiting for the next time for it to come up. And uh, then life ends, Yeah. you know, or do you really want to free yourself and no longer, you talked about being in that, in that data wave state where time stands still a little bit more, mm -hmm. uh, 10 years don't go by like that because you're in presence mm -hmm. and then life doesn't really end. Yeah. Life is just beginning for you. Yeah. And that rediscovery process, that remembrance, mm -hmm. those are the states it's challenging, but it's, it, it's worthwhile. It, it, and it, you don't have to suffer. I call it, I talk about the challenge frustration curve and I like to put people right towards the place of challenge mm -hmm. where they find success, success. Then the frustration kicks in and that's where too much frustration, we have suffering. Mm -hmm. That is the RPMs going at the red line. That is no place for change. That's a point of diminishing returns. Yeah. Uh, we want to challenge to the point where you force growth. Yeah. Wind on plants. Yeah. <laughs> that reference, maybe. I was learning how to grow uh, in my garden. And I heard that uh, cat with her seedlings when they were seeding indoors. Uh, she blows on her plants to strengthen them 
and she doesn't nurture and coddle her little seedlings and therefore they were more prepared to go outside. And I did an experiment and I didn't blow on my seeds and I, on my seedlings and I did on some and all the ones I didn't blow on died. Yeah. And they didn't, never made it really outside. The second I transplanted them, they wilted. That's a little microcosm of life right there. Uh, the preparation and the challenge to be able to endure the fruiting stages of our lives. And yeah. we actually got there where life wasn't this constant struggle. The plant was able to make it and fruit. Yeah. And that's what we're getting. Yeah. We need those micro terrors. We need like, I mean, it's so easy to visualize when we're thinking about working out, like we, we gain muscle through micro terrors, yes. right? And so we need that to build strength and resilience. And I think we forget that that's the same concept that applies to little baby seedlings who also need the challenge and our muscles that also need the challenge. Like we forget that our emotional bodies also mm. need that kind of challenge to, to become more resilient. It makes sense when you work and you feel the stress because there's an output, you maybe get a little bulk in the muscle. Mm -hmm. You get a quicker act three in that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not everything in life is that way, but it is a, an example of you're doing that all the time. You know, feeling exercise makes you feel good with the hormones. And then you notice a change in your body and it's a quick resolution. So you're more apt to do it. Not everything in life is that way, but everything in life does have those three acts. Yeah. Uh, and you have to trust in that process. Yeah. Yeah. And we go through multiple movies in our lifetime. <laughs> Simultaneous movies at the same time. Well, infinite. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I think that's, I was going to point out to some of the challenge, even the way, People might ask how I release the body. Mm -hmm. I say the difference between Rolfing and what we do, which I'm sure you experience very similar to certain Rolfing techniques. Uh, the purpose of what I do is I go to say an area I feel is in need of a release. Mm -hmm. There's tension. It's appropriate to go here. Mm -hmm. What we're trying to do is find the space. It's not just get on top of a muscle, get on top of a ligament and pull it and stretch it and break those fibers up. Right. That's what you classically see in physical care, actually a lot in Rolfing. That is the basis of structural integration. We're similar, we're in the same neighborhood, but my purpose is to nestle into a certain depth that is not just purely physical. Mm -hmm. It is to a point where the nervous system begins to respond. Mm -hmm. And this is where sometimes uh, getting deep work is dangerous to somebody who is in a sympathetic state because you're only causing more sympathetic work. Ooh, that's too deep, but I love it. You're only reinforcing the sympathetic state they're in. My goal is to begin that challenge, hold that release, allow that person to breathe. Mm -hmm. And that's the first thing we do is making sure that somebody is breathing properly because that's the natural mechanism. That's the autonomic nervous system being able to control itself. It's where it meets with the, with the diaphragm moving proper breath. And so we, hold the space we hold here it becomes challenging the person oh when was it going to go when is it going to go when is it going to let go i go when you decide to let it go mm -hmm. and that answer they snap out of it and whew, bang you feel the whole structure begin to release and i go well, see that's not muscle fibers that were tight the muscle wasn't it wasn't the muscle's problem yeah it was a signal being sent there it was an energy being blocked all of it was there yeah. and we allowed the body to figure out the problem to release it. Mm -hmm. And then that's how you have true integration. Mm -hmm. You can safely let that person go and walk now versus uh, you have tight muscles and you just want to beat them up and strip them. And yeah, they'll get lengthened after about 10, 15, 20 minutes. Yeah. But the body goes, what the hell happened there? 
it, well, I don't know. It's just something I was laying down and now I'm, lang I'm lengthened. Yeah. And that's an area where we can have injuries yeah. later on yeah. because there wasn't integration. That's act one to act three. Mm -hmm. That's an example of that where that quick jump and it becomes addictive. Mm -hmm. You have to constantly go back over and over again to get that type of treatment. Mm -hmm. It's never truly integrated. Yeah. And I think that that is, again, it goes back to the crux of the nervous system cannot be a, a bystander in this conversation. Like it needs to be an active part of this conversation. And so, you know, you offer challenge by placing your hands somewhere and being like, okay, like body, it's, I'm, I'm going to be here until you feel safe enough to let go, you know, and, and sometimes that is something that's stored in the body for me when i got work done by you like the tailbone was not like an emotional story for me it was just like a physical that's an example i'm glad you brought that up because yeah. at not saying raw thing wrong or anything like that at that point cat your coccyx the little tip of your tailbone mm -hmm. was bent in she had a fall uh and we had to two people had to hold pinch and pull Mm -hmm. and physically actually move a structure that was out of place. Right. Uh, and I told you that that is not typically when we see somebody on the first session is what we're doing, yeah. but it was so apparent that this point of your body being out of place, out of balance, everything else you might walk out, feel great. Mm -hmm. A couple days later, it's going to come back. Right. If we don't make a real structural change here on an area, the spinal cord and then on the spine, you know, yeah. It, sometimes it's not always emotional. Right. It is purely physical, which then can lead to emotional stress, but your emotional trigger wasn't caught up in that pelvic floor tissue. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think that you, you talk about it in terms of being at the edge of like, like frustration. Is that yeah. The challenge, frustration, the curve. challenge, frustration curve. Yeah. Right. And I, in the emotional work that I do with my clients, I just call it like nervous sighted. Like, can yeah. we get you to, but like, think about aspects of your life and hold you in that space of nervous sighted and your capacity to feel that nervous sighted edge is going to grow as you continue to do this work. And that's where the growth happens is when you're in that state of, okay, I'm in a relationship. It makes me a little nervous sighted. Mm -hmm. Like this particular challenge like makes me nervous sighted. This nervous sighted is nice. I learned Anthony Vetiver wrote a great book. Um, Victoria's mind talked about the, the challenge frustration curve nervous sighted. Yeah. Kathleen, I, can't, I, I like that. I can't claim that one. That came oh. from a client. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, client, I mean, this is the things we learn. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I like nervous sighted because it's a safe word. It's fun. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm just thinking of like other, because we just went fully into sleep as like a main symptom of the nervous system needing some support. Well, there's another one. We talked about the digestive system. And yeah. if you're stressed, your body will not send blood in the signals to the digestive system to create stomach acid to go through the whole process yeah. of digestion. We talked about that on that episode. Uh, and really, uh, if you're not a di if you're not digesting or absorbing, then all the other systems in your body will begin to fail. So if you don't recognize that you're stressed, look at do you have other issues? Mm -hmm. you know, do you have absorption issues? Do you have uh, digestive problems and sleep issues, sleep issues, pain, inflammation. There's the other one. If your body's constantly in pain, uh, why is it not healing? Yeah. Because if you're in a fight or flight state, healing is not 
productive. Yeah. That's not, it, it doesn't need to do that. Yeah. You, you better believe, you know, it, let, let's just give extreme examples. Um, you know, the mother that lifts the car, uh, that is the state you're running in. <laughs> she can tear every muscle in her body. She will lift that car. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you, you've seen tremendous fight or flight of, of running through. And then you find out later or after a car accident, I'm fine. No, I'm fine. And then collapse later, you realize that yeah. you have been injured. Yeah. Uh, that is a little bit of what's happening. So constant joint inflammation, um, your body's not clearing that fluid out. It's not sending white blood cells to the area. It is suffering. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so therefore you'll have just local lymph being stuck there, constant joint inflammation. Mm-hmm. Even we talk about autoimmune. So rheumatism, rheumatoid arthritis, it's like systemic bilateral, both hands or ankles, both feet, that inflammation, we can contribute to calling it back to an autoimmune disease. Mm-hmm. Autoimmune disease because the body is attacking itself. Why is it attacking itself? Invaders got into the bloodstream. How did these invaders get into the bloodstream? The digestive system, for one of the examples, mm-hmm. it starts right there. Yeah. Um, almost all autoimmune disease can be contributed back to a digestive problem and stress. Yeah. Some are genetic, yes, but um, majority we see were traced back to that. Yeah. And again, it's like, okay, so what are the questions that we can be asking the, the holistic system, right? Not just the body, but, you know, whenever I see somebody with an autoimmune condition, I ask them like, what's the voice that's happening in mm-hmm. your head? How, like, it's a literal attacking of the body of, you know, of the self. Mm-hmm. Right. And so most of the time when I ask that question, because Oftentimes when, when folks who have had autoimmune conditions have gone through so many practitioners and specialists and no one has asked them, how are you beating yourself up emotionally? Like just that one question makes them feel so seen and heard that it brings on tears because nobody's looking at the whole picture. We're just looking at, okay, so how can we suppress with steroids? How can we, you know, and if if they're a slightly more integrative pr- practitioner, they're thinking, okay, so how can we improve your digestion through yeah. herbs and um, and through a, a quote unquote cleaner diet? Cleaner diet, but at the end, it's still addressing symptoms rather than and, and you just said, you know, stress is the source of all disease. Yeah, disease, mm-hmm. and so therefore, if that these ideas about themselves or these self-limiting self-limiting beliefs and these things that are denying cause their body to go into stress. And that would have preceded the disease. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And therefore that question merely poses, shines a light. Yeah. It asks an answer for a question, you know, that, Hey, what is happening here? And yeah. snap right back to the beginning, mm-hmm. a time before you had this autoimmune disease mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and you're addressing something. Yeah. Now perspective is illuminated. I mean, that's the, that's the difference of what we're trying to do here. Yeah. And And I think that's something that that's hard to nail down too with stress is that when we don't go back to the root, when we don't address the story of what was happening before the stress happened, we end up playing whack-a-mole. Oh, how else would you, if you don't know where you started. Yeah. How can you figure out where you're going? Yeah. And so your body's going to throw up all these signals because it's actually trying to communicate with you how stressed it is. And so somebody might come up with be like, you know, I have digestive issues. 
I have migraines, I can't sleep, I have wonky periods, you know, and you can send them to a different specialist for each one of these problems. But if nobody is addressing, like, why are you in a sympathetic nervous system state? Why do you feel like you need to protect yourself? Why do you feel like you need to run away? Why do you feel like you need to fight? We're just going to play whack-a-mole for the rest of your life. And cross our fingers and hope we get something that helps stop some physical symptoms and never truly get to... Act to. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, that one. <laughs> I, yeah, and that's... Uh, having that question posed to you by your caretaker, someone that's guiding you, mm -hmm. is the difference for someone willing maybe to work on truly what's happening here. Mm -hmm. Whoa, no one's ever asked me that before. Yeah. And also the willingness on the patient's side to actually hear that, you know, there have also been times in which I've asked that question and, and they're in a state of, of protection. And so they aren't ready to hear that question yet. Mm -hmm. And it takes three, four five months to be able to actually get to the core of, okay, so I actually have shitty feelings about myself mm -hmm. and this is why, and I don't, I don't feel like I should have shitty feelings about myself, which brings on more shame and guilt. Brian, I don't want to spend a ton of time on this because actually I want to do an entire standalone episode about this with you. Um, but another place that I've seen in my client base in terms of how stress affects the bodies is, is the reproductive system, mm -hmm. you know, and I spent five years in fertility medicine doing acupuncture and nobody was addressing the stress. Like we were, I, I was seeing clients in and out every single day who are going through the IVF journey or going through the IUI journey and, you know, being given these to-do lists of things that you have to do to manage stress, but nobody is getting to the core root of actually understanding them. And so the more you tell somebody who's on that journey, go take a bubble bath once a day, make sure you're walking every day, make sure that you are, you know, finding ways to connect. Like that's so fucking annoying. It's so it's Yeah. You, you think, Oh, well, I don't know that I, what things that make me feel good. Like I should be doing that right now. Thank you very much. Uh, well, yeah. Cause I think we'll I'll go back biologically. If you're stressed, your body's not going to want to carry a child. Yeah. It would things like back then it would be more, okay. There could be disease in the area. There would be famine, something. This is why the digestive system, you know, leads to some of these things, stress on the digestive system, uh, proceeds a little, sometimes of the fertility issues, but ultimately stress was what caused it. And so your body's not designed to procreate yeah. men with erectile dysfunction and that ever lasting loop, uh, and, and we see state your hormones, sex hormones. Mm -hmm. Um, we stress, I say this to everybody, it gets a quick science thing, but just, just so people understand the pathway of how hormones are made, mm -hmm. vitamin B5 mm -hmm. and cholesterol, which everyone thinks we want lower cholesterol, we need good cholesterol to come together and make pregnenolone. Mm -hmm. Pregnenolone is the mother of all hormones yep. from there. Pregnenolone will be dished out based on the conditions is pregnenolone going to be converted into DHEA and balances of testosterone and estrogen, or is it going to go to progesterone to balance estrogen, but ultimately cortisol? Mm -hmm. Does that pathway your body stress? So progesterone, uh, pregnenolone 
progesterone, cortisol, cortisol, mm-hmm. cortisol. And that stops the production of DHEA. And you go to, you get your functional medicine doctor and they say, you have low DHEA, take a DHEA supplement. Mm-hmm. How many times we see you people might be listening right now and they are uh, the fertility clinic and they are just being prescribed bioidentical hormones. Would they say that's even better? The whole path is off. You're trying to replace hormones and not addressing the cause, not addressing the stress. And therefore you will always be taking those things and never balancing your body and and your body will defeat. You'll get more stressed. It'll break down further. You'll never get the levels you need. You'll have the low libido. This is what birth control does to your body. It lowers these, these hormones Mm -hmm. and ultimately it really low and become estrogen dominant. Mm -hmm. And then polycystic ovarian syndrome. I mean, we see stress is what that is. Mm-hmm. How many times do we see PCOS coming yeah. all the time? And we, and we feel that and they go, why? Well, I go, well, this is, this came from an environment of stress and we, we've illuminated that. And yeah. so let's work that because ultimately your ability to express your sexual side mm-hmm. naturally, biologically, emotionally mm-hmm. is affected by the stress. We know that. Yeah. And we'll get into a lot of that with a uh, pot, but just let that be an indicator. Yeah. Um, for men and women that are listening and and seeing these areas of a healthy libido yeah. and uh, a, a, we didn't talk about it today, but uh, brain fog. Mm-hmm. If you find brain fog, we're going to find the stress. Right. And, and uh, what is brain? I mean, all the neurotransmitters that are firing or shouldn't be firing. Mm-hmm. And these inherit these, these things that are being uptaken properly. Yeah. So that would be another indicator of stress. Yeah. And uh, regardless of how productive you think you are, experiencing brain fog is not normal. Yeah. And something that I think Brian and I don't want to do is to create a dynamic in which you getting to your parasympathetic nervous system is now a to-do list. Yes. Yeah. You know, this is not our intention And this is why I think it's so important to ask these questions and continue to deepen to the layers of why, because when we don't understand the why for each individual unique human, and I think this is oftentimes where a coach or a practitioner is needed, is they'll give you, like, you'll go on Google and you'll find the, like, top 10 things to reduce stress, Yeah, you know, and, and my goal is is actually to reduce that number to here is the one thing that you need to do because this is your medicine right now and to make this a more efficient process because for some people that bath is not going to do it you know it might do it in the moment right but ultimately the second you get out of that bath and you're right back to where you were yeah yeah, and so it's about addressing like what's at the core of of the stress, and why are we not or why are you not able to complete that cycle? Because that's ultimately what stress is needing to do is it's wanting to complete a cycle, and oftentimes that like resistance to act two makes it so that we can't find a resolution to it, and and so if we can. And the most tangible example that I can think of is, you know, after a traumatic event for an animal, they're going to complete the cycle by shaking. Yes. You know, my dog, who is four pounds, everything is scary for her. And so everything feels life-threatening to her. 
And after scary instances, she wants to be in my arms and she will shake. And by allowing herself to go through that cycle of shaking, she's able to like jump out of my arms and go back to playing again, you know? But it's, as humans, we forget that we have these physiological responses that stress needs to complete a cycle. Cortisol needs to be cleared from the blood. And that's what the shaking is about for, for little Ruby is by shaking, she's actually allowing her cells to clear that cortisol out of the blood. It's allowing her muscles to do what it had primed itself to do, which was to move, you know? And so by shaking, she's actually allowing her muscles to move. And, um, and as humans, we feel into those physiological responses and we stop it because our brains are so much more evolved than little Ruby. For better or for worse in yeah. that situation, yeah. And sometimes shame and guilt will override those physiological responses. And so oftentimes people are like, what the hell is going on with my body? Like, why am I crying and laughing and shaking like after sessions with you or in sessions with you? And it's like, because this is something that was stored in your body that needed to be released, that needed to come out, you know? And I'm sure you see it all the time on your table. Yeah. Even the athletes too, young kids, mm -hmm. walk it off, tough it out. Yeah. I mean, you see that, you know, I, that one of my, that's my journey personally was uh, that I have a lot of, you know, I, I go around to a, a knee injury I had in, in seventh grade. My, I really, I tore an MCL. I didn't know. I took a tackle on my knee and um, I got up and I, I didn't scream. I didn't, I, I just, I was hurt. And the first thing the coach said, the coach said is get up. You're not hurt. Mm -hmm. Walk it off. You're fine. Yeah. And I knew something wasn't wrong. And because I was, 13 years old, my body kind of bounced back, but something was wrong. Mm -hmm. I, to this day, I have numbness. Yeah. And every time I feel a little bit of that numbness in that knee, I learn to go right back to that area and not have resentment yeah. and, and in the body in there. And, and that alone tightens me up. And mm -hmm. so, for example, there is, I had to work through that in my own journey. And after I got knee surgery, and the reason I do what I do is because years later, I got knee surgery and realized this isn't the path to fix the problems here. Mm -hmm. The tightness around there, all of this relates to a certain injury yeah. uh, or a certain time, a trigger, a trauma. Yeah. And my response to that or lack of. Yeah. And so yeah. it really becomes about thinking about stress, not as a thing to resist, but as a thing that we can, Uncover. like with everything, like how can we complete the cycle? Complete the cycle, make sure. Yeah. And not, yeah. And just trust that process of, uh, completing the cycle is one of the best ways to, to put it and therefore allow your body to handle it the way it was designed to mm -hmm. the, you don't have to put pressure on yourself that you have to analytically do everything. Yeah. And that's where a lot of the loop happens here. And I think that people really would benefit themselves is to really, to trust in the process, the body's designed to heal it yep. itself. Just allow to ask in the moment, what do I need right now? Okay. Get that. Mm -hmm. Allow the body to go through it. And you'll find it adds up. Mm -hmm. Trust that process. Right. Right. Well, I think that that's a great place to mm -hmm. sort of conclude our, mm -hmm. our juicy a little, Our little scratch the surface of the stress module, but there's, <laughs> you can see how dense this can get and how expansive it could be, yeah. but just under overall understanding yeah. this, the connection here, um, we will revisit this a lot and we will be illuminating this so much that um, people will finally 
I think, on a whole, begin. This is where the world is going. Yeah. And I think this is where our pioneer, what we're trying to pioneer here is how two practitioners or multiple practitioners can uh, meet somebody where they're at, mm-hmm. come together, mm-hmm. and really effectively, no bullshit, yeah. address where they're at. Yeah. And then that's... Yeah. Uh, and you and I have some exciting news to share with folks. With that, without further ado, <laughs> we will be we will be doing dual treatment treatments uh, experiences treatment experiences that are that are focused on uh, releasing the story of trauma in your body, mm-hmm. both physically, emotionally, and being able to process process that. Yeah. And Kat, you know, you talk about your clients or experience and my client experience. We both have the wish the other person was in the room at that moment yeah. to be able to help that person process. Yeah. Because in that moment, you have a window of opportunity mm-hmm. to in- inform somebody to allow them to integrate. And it really can cement mm-hmm. because there's these windows of opportunity that we can build entire sessions to. And if we don't have that window of opportunity fulfilled, go to the next one and maybe a distraction happened there. And then a week later goes by and another week goes by and we find that, this could be something that integrates faster, more efficient. Essentially what we're putting out there as an offering is both of us in a room together with you. You are the focus. We're going to help you unravel the trauma story. And Brian is a friggin' genius when it comes to the body and, and looking at how the body holds stress and, and I am so passionate about helping you like get back to where that original story came from. And so these are intensive sessions that we're proposing. So these are, this is, this is act two, yeah. like fully in act two, right? And act two not being so scary yeah. because you're getting two people who can hold you yeah. in that presence. Right. And you're getting both of our, you know, cumulative years of experience, which is between the two of us, there's 24 years of, of actual hands-on client work that we've done. And I am, I'm, there's no one else I, I want to do this with. And I'm so glad that we found each other. And so if you are somebody who is interested in this, we're going to be holding pop-ups yeah. and, they're going to be all over the place and hopefully we're going to continue to grow and expand this. But right now we've got LA, uh, San Francisco, Francisco Bay area. Um, we've got New York, Hawaii. So if this is something that you're interested in, if you want to come, um, these spots are going to go super fast. Our first weekend, we did a bit of like a soft opening and it's already sold out. So um, if you are curious about this, shoot an email to hello at shengeneration.com. You're going to be able to chat with Alex, who's going to be handling all of the details. And it would be so great to meet with you in person and, and do this deep work in person. It's going to be a completely immersive retreat-esque experience. So beyond just your care that you will receive here, this will be a blueprint for how practitioners work together. Um, And that's what our goal is, is to really improve and make this more efficient. I mean, I think that's what it comes down to is there have been times where you and I have connected with clients and I just, I just wish that you were in the room with me so that you can put your hands on them. You know, the same, it's, it creates so much work for everybody. 
when you're left in a moment going, okay, I can help this, but the person, the tool I need right now, it's not here. Mm -hmm. I need it here right now yeah. because this is the moment. If it requires a drill, yeah, you're gonna have to use your fingers and yeah, you might get it done, but it might never really work the way you hope it would. And uh, when those moments pop up, we're there to support. And this is for people are, who are serious and committing to breaking to that large aha. Got it, this is how it all integrates. Yeah. I feel safe and uh, I'm really looking forward to it. It's exciting and uh, that was our, uh, that's our big news. Yeah, so reach out hello at shengeneration.com and we'll see you soon. Absolutely, thank you, Kat. As we are wrapping up, I just want to send out a few pings of gratitude out there. First of all, thank you so much for listening. Thank you for being a part of our community. And if you would like to support our project, you can find us on patreon.com. I would also like to send some thanks out to Mayan Kites, who creates original music for our podcast, and for Andre Lagasse, who produces these podcast episodes. Thank you.